welcome to Nobody Told Me That, your source for candid business talk and stories. Your host is speaker and author Teresa Duncan. Sit back, buckle up, and hang on. We're back with another episode of Nobody Told Me That, and I am so thrilled to have my friend Christine Ferry with me on the show. Hi, Christine. Hello. How are you today? I am good. Thanks for coming on. Christine is one of those people that I love spending time with, but I just don't get enough of it. And we always run into each other at these meetings, and it's always like, oh, you're here. Hi, bye. And we just kind of say hello in the, in the hallway, and we try to grab like 15 minutes. Uh, we used to grab a quick hug. But now yes. I know what we're going to be able to do. Now we could do a fist pump. Oh, yeah. They would do the, the elbow bump, right? So I know Christine from back when she was she was speaking on hygiene. I mean, that's a long time ago. You were clinical for about 20 years. And then you went into executive coaching, which is always, I always meant to ask you why. You got your master's in executive coaching. And you now lead teams. You've, you've written uh, extensively. I think you had in first impressions, were you writing? Is that where I was reading you? Yeah. Cause I remember you had a regular yep. column. She would write on change management and teams and bullying. And I just remembered loving your articles. Now you have another niche, which you're getting into, which is, I mean, you couldn't have timed this better. She's into virtual coaching she is good with managing the change that comes around it. And so when I learned that, I was like, okay, we need to get this going. I didn't really realize we were going to be in the middle of this when we scheduled, right? Right. And, and so the first thing that, that kind of came up in our pre-interview talk was the difference between remote and virtual. And I was kind of thinking, oh, well, what does that mean? I actually was using it interchangeably, but it doesn't sound like that's what I'm, I'm not doing it right. Well, I think right about now there's, there's, no technical rule, but what you want to look at from a from a languaging and creating the context of, of our conversation. So what we look at from a virtual perspective, a virtual would be no brick and mortar building. It would be like entrepreneurs. Many of our colleagues are solo entrepreneurs and they work virtually because if they're not lecturing, then they work out of their home office. And if they're teaming in or zooming in to one of their clients, that would be a virtual situation. Okay. Versus a remote situation would be a dental practice, whether it's a footprint of one or many, and then they have employees, regional managers, directors, office managers who are working off-site and they're remoting in. So that's a remote because there's a brick and mortar right there. Got it. So okay. So that, that makes a lot of sense. So for the audience that I have, I usually have mostly managers and doctors, although yep. I'm getting more clinical. So thank you guys. If you're clinical for listening, I think that's awesome that you're expanding the horizons and Yay. finding out what's going on out there. Everybody right now is probably remote logging in. And I know many of my managers, you know, they're, if they're still working and employed, they're logging in and trying to figure things out that way. Is there a best practice? I mean, this is a big, big topic, but is there a best practice that a manager could employ to keep in touch? with the team via this atmosphere, this new atmosphere that we're in? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to take a step back and just kind of, again, just like a little groundwork. First of all, whatever you're doing right now to reach out to your team, congratulations. Just take a breath and a pause and congratulate yourself, right? Because this is uncharted ter territory for so many. 
when we're looking at basic the, the Gallup poll, poll remote work and virtual work worldwide, not just in dentistry, so this isn't any occupation, about 43% of the world was working remote. Now, that may sound like a lot, but hold on. Out of that 43%, only half, 22%, actually got any training on how to do this. So again, ah. pat yourselves on the back, but just jumping in when you have to. And over the past nine days, Teresa, 1.5 million people have gone remote. That's so it's, amazing. it's a navigating of this disruption that everyone's going to have some loose fitting. So however you're attempting to do it, just, just pause and, and just know that it's, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to make mistakes. And from a best practice standpoint, what we're looking at, especially in times of uncertainty, is the connection. So how can you, from a leadership standpoint, and even team leadership, right? So this is an opportunity from a virtual and remote space to not sit back and just wait for things to happen, to you know get on the court and make things happen. And that would be making sure that you're having connection on a at least a weekly basis with your team members, whether they're furloughed, whether they're let go, whatever that situation was, but you're connecting with them and this is a, you know, from a Zoom platform or some type of a FaceTime or some type of video so you can have that interconnection and you can see these people, right, uh, versus just a text. So that would be my first recommendation to look at how you can have your virtual huddles, you know, um, still going on so you can connect with your team. So when you say training, I'm thinking back to when my husband first started working from home because of the virus, really the first day was him making sure he could log in and get that done. So yes. is that the training you're talking about or even different training? Well, absolutely. So there's going to be training that has to do with technology and how can a company set their team members up for success, right? So what technology is needed? Um, do they have a computer? Do they have internet, right? We've talking a lot about that with schools and students who don't even have access to internet. Is it high speed? Do they have microphones? Do they have appropriate lighting, appropriate background, things like that? So there's definitely a technical and equipment standpoint. And then there's also best practices around how we relate to each other. Right. How, how are we being in it's our workability? And so often from a consulting standpoint, we look at when we're looking at working with our teams, it's the team agreements. It's the team culture. It's the way we're holding each other accountable. It's the way we're holding each, you know, being responsible to the, the vision and the standard of care and the strategic goals or the performance goals. And so now you're taking all this and bringing it virtual. So let's clarify, we can unpack that a little bit too, but that's, that's that kind of navigating those waters because as you know, that if you don't have that solid culture, when we all can see each other every day, then how can we create that? What opportunities can we create to have it when we're online? You know, I'm just thinking so many offices, you know, they have such a good rhythm and groove and when they're in front of each other, you know, it's almost like a dance, how they schedule and seat and all that kind of thing. You now have just this weird way of talking. Some people don't want to be on camera. Some people, you know, are not good with returning text. Some people aren't on Facebook, so they can't be part of that chat. And it makes sense to have a protocol on that. Is that something that's also part of your, I know many offices have a disaster preparedness manual. Yeah. Should that be in that or even just the full office manual? If I, I would love it as a full office manager, manual, just from under a, or from more of a, a cultural manual, 
how we're going to be, how we're going to treat each other. You know, what's our behavioral norms? What's acceptable in our practice? Right. Prior to this would be, you know, let's have an agreement that we're all going to get to work on time, or let's all agree that we're going to get to the huddle two minutes before it starts. Right. So that's something as a small example. So now let's have the agreement that we need to have behavioral norms and agreements when we all jump on a Zoom call or when we are expected to follow up with analytics or statistics. Obviously, what this the taping of this, it, it's a challenge because none, a lot of the practices aren't working. But if we can extrapolate in thinking, you know, two months down the road, when you want to maybe come back and visit this, because those are the practices that you want to put in norm, because I do believe that. It has to, that whether it's in the realm of teledentistry, which we can touch base with later, or remote regional managers and district managers and office managers, and just the flexibility of working moms and working dads, that this is a conversation that we can have and it can be robust beyond this. What I was thinking about when you were speaking is we get on the other side of this, right? So everybody's getting ready to go back to work. You work with teams remotely. You work with yes. managers remotely, you know, coaching them or virtually. I'm sorry, virtually coaching. Yeah, fine. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> when you have a team that's coming back together, what would your first phone call be like with a team that's starting to meld together again? What does that look like? I would love to take a step back and ideally that distance would not be there for the team. So what can you do from a team leader perspective, from a leader perspective, owner perspective, what can you create now that you can reach out with your team? And if I may, what can you create now that you can continue to reach out with your patient? There's no nothing wrong with, again, we all have contacts that we have the email addresses and our software. Mm -hmm. Have a group call for all your patients on a Thursday night at eight o'clock or whatever that would look like for you. Just making wow. yourself available to answer any type of questions that they may have. No one may show up, but 50 or 100 may show up, right? So it's, it's you being out there to have that connectivity, to have that trust, and continue to build that rapport and relationship during times of uncertainty. So it's less likely that it's that awkwardness when you come back together. When we were talking earlier, you said that you have this fun article about the different characters on Zoom, because now, you know, everybody's meeting via Zoom. And even even if you're not team meeting, you're you're doing webinars probably right. during this downtime. And it made me think there's one, I guess, viral video going around where this poor girl is, you know, she's caught doing something and she shouldn't be doing it. I think going to the bathroom or something mm -hmm. like that. And it was like, wow, I can't believe this. This poor girl is going to be blasted all over. But you said there's profiles of different Zoom workers. And well, first of all, I'd love to get that article so I can link it yes, in absolutely. the show notes. Is there one or two different personalities we need to be looking out for? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if this goes back to basic team dynamics, right? So do you remember back with um, Bruce Tuckman's storming, norming, forming, and performing? You're right. Yep. So it goes back to the basics of how do we have team dynamics? How do we create high performing teams that, you know, the six keys to high performing teams, whatever that rate would be. And then how we translate that into the virtual and the remote space from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. You'd have to have those basic agreements and norms because you're right. We all learn differently. And we all have different personality styles. And a lot of us have been exposed to various um, personality styles throughout our careers and identifying whether it's the Myers-Briggs, whether it's the DISC, whether it's the Strength Finder, all valuable. And they all show parts of us. And there's going to be certain parts of us show up virtually that may not have showed up, you know, one-on-one -on -one and live. And so this article was from the Boston Globe, and I'll certainly share it with you. And it was interesting because he just put together some... I'll just run through the the, um, the seven, 
-hmm. the poor internet connection, someone who cannot get internet connection, so always drops off and comes back on. The, the proud papa or mama, right, who has the kids flying back and forth or, or even the dogs, like, jumping up and down. The, the person with the no bra, no shoes, no shirt, right, that they just think, oh, this is no big deal. I'm at home. I'm not even going to use a comb, that type of person. <laughs> then you have, you've mentioned the, the clueless person who, it's funny, and there is a, a video about them going to the bathroom, and it has happened to me. I have seen this with a team. Also happened to me because I one of my first days of being a hygienist, I walked in on a patient going to the bathroom. So oh, no. live as well as virtual, that whole bathroom thing can work. And then it's also people who don't know how to mute and they may be using profanity. Um, the multitasker, right, who has the six different screens up and then not paying attention. Someone who could potentially be the hijacker. And then the hijacker, but I, I want to also from our, our speaker friends or people who have worked with team members, you can also go into someone who's shy, right? Someone who's an avoider, right? Mm. Picture yourself, your last team meeting, for those of you who have team meetings, right? And sometimes they have that death by agenda that's the same agenda, you know, year after year after year, and you can't push the needle. So the same dynamic can be virtually, except it's a lot more painful. So the skill is, and I say painful meaning psychologically painful because you want people to, to connect, it's Who's mm -hmm. the facilitator and how can they get, what exercises to get people engaged? And it's so much more about the being and the connecting with people versus going right into the content. Of, this is what we have to do. So often one-on-one -on -one, where just check it off the box. Let's just do this versus on a virtual. We do need to do an exercise. For example, Teresa, like if you're jumping on with someone, what's outside your window? Just oh, what's outside okay. your window. Just just go around and just, you know, either say if you can make sure you can do a screen like the Brady Bunch, dating myself. Mm -hmm. But if you're not familiar with Zoom, you can have these little screen shares. And so you can see these little boxes, three or six across, and you can just call people out, right? And just say, hey, what's outside your window? Or even where are you today, right? Because some people, even though you have a team, they may have traveled to another state to take care of a loved one, right? So those type of openings and re building relationships is so much more valuable. It's so much more important on a virtual call than it would be. We need to pay more attention to it versus saying that context versus the context. The whole concept of meeting in the dental office has changed so much over the years. I, I remember the first meeting that we had, and I don't remember if I led it or my doctor led it. I, I was fresh out of college, right? Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. He probably didn't know what he was doing either. And we just thought a meeting was getting together and talking about all the things we're doing wrong so we don't do it anymore. Yeah. Instead of what are we doing right and how can we keep doing that? I mean, obviously now I understand the difference, but back then it was like, you need to stop doing this because it's messing it up for the rest of us. And I didn't realize just how toxic that is. I mean, looking back, it's so obvious. You don't get training in that kind of thing. And unless you seek it out via CE, you don't get training on facilitating a meeting. Right. I wanted to just go back to one thing. You mentioned the whole storming and norming. And I realized, you know what? I may know what it is, but our listeners may not. Do you mind just giving a quick overview of that? No, absolutely. So I'm a dental geek. <laughs> I'll let you know that. And so That's why I love you. <laughs> it's probably been... 15 years when I really stuck my big toe into coaching and what coaching was. And so I decided that I wanted to be a coaching geek. And when I went back to school to get my master's degree, it was very similar to the art and science of coaching. So I love the methodology and the research behind the why. And so when you're looking at 
factors of high-performing teams. And there's wonderful research out there from Bruce Tuckman, and it's called Storming, Norming, Performing, and Adjourning. And there's other people. There's Hackman out there. There's Wagerman, Amy Edmondson. She's put out some work. So you can just Google team coaching and research, and you can have a vast information if those geeks out there who want to look into team coaching. There's usually six factors. And so I'm going to go into the six factors. So for my linear thinkers and left brains, I won't forget about you. But basically what it looks at from when you have a team dynamic, when you are storming is getting to know each other. So if you have new team members, it's how you're um, training someone. It's how you're getting to know someone is putting in the basic how-tos of a dental practice. This is when we go to lunch. This is when we take a break. This is what procedures that we do. And then after you have this type of storming and everything comes together, similar to what we're doing now. So if you even want to think about it as, let me just kind of break it down, implementing a new technology or a new technique in your practice. Okay. You're, you're all storming together, learning about it. And then after you've done six or eight or 12 different procedures, or you utilize a certain protocol or technique, then you're normalizing it. Then you're tweaking it. What's going on? What's going well? And then you get to a point where you can, not that we would do this in dentistry, but you almost can do it in your sleep, right? This is just, you're performing it. This is, this is the high level. So you're finding out what the errors are and you're getting back to the next level and the next level. And then you are kind of getting to a plateau where like some doctors, I use their um, example, when you're in dental school, it could take you three hours to prep a tooth. And now <laughs> after 15 or five or whatever years it would be, it takes you under an hour, right? So now you're just, you're kind of performing at that high level. And this is not a linear cycle. It's more of a spider web cycle because when you interject some type of new factor, then that team entity goes back to square one again. So if someone leaves the practice, you're, you're starting all over again because now you're introducing another team member or another technique and you have to go through that pattern again. Was that helpful? Very helpful. I forget sometimes that there are people new to dentistry that are listening. So I'm always trying to catch myself and, you know, define things. So, and, and again, if you're listening and you sometimes don't know what the heck I'm talking about, please send me an email. <laughs> I'll try to explain it. And I can send you some links in the um, notes too. That'd be great. So I'm guessing now after co life after COVID uh, this morning with a friend, I was calling it AC after COVID. So <laughs> after COVID is now we're back to storming because yeah. you're kind of regrouping. I guess for a lot of people, the new factor will be uncertainty, will be fear and new team members, as you indicated. So I'm really glad we went over this because I think it's good for team leaders to just understand that's normal you know, don't feel like you're a failure as a manager. I mean, is that how you would phrase it to a new manager or a, a manager coming back from this? Yeah, you're definitely going to look at and, and pull in any type of your, your leadership and your team development skills. So the, fix, the six factors of a high-performing team are share your purpose, your mission, or your why. When you're coming back together, so how that would look in a dental practice would be let recalibrate. What is our standard of care now? What is our mission? Are we all still aligned with our mission, right? So really kind of get a centering of what is the purpose? Let's revisit that. And some practices, as you know, may not have visited that in years. So it's a great and it's a wonderful opportunity to let's have this conversation. Are we all on the same page? Do we still want to be here? How are we serving our clients? Who are they? And that type of what's our priority with our mission and, and how we're going to be delivering care in this new world now. The second one would be looking at definitely 
identifying what are the agreements or the shared behaviors, how do we do things, what's acceptable behavior, what's unacceptable behavior, what are acceptable um, habits, what are unacceptable habits, how do we support each other, right? And so we need to go ahead and revisit all those. Then what is our shared commitment? And the shared commitment can be peeled back to the, the next one, which is the performance goals. So what can happen is, does each team member or departments, or whether you're a department of one or a department of three, from a hygiene department, dental assisting department, and ad, you know, administrative department, are you all, we all have our own individual performance goals and strategy goals. However, are they all committed to the same thing, which ultimately is the mission? So are we all there to support each other? And is a hygiene's performance goals somehow counterintuitive to a dental assistant's, and it's not, they're not going to be able to work together so one wins and the other one loses, that's not necessarily what a high performance team does. They're like the, I think the Japanese coined it in the TQM day or totally quality management was yeah, the yeah. win, 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 right? Let's get the win, win, win for people. It's not just a win, win, it's the win, win, win. So we want to make sure that your commitment to your goal is in alignment with the performance goals and it's not counter to anyone else's. And then share team practices, how you're going to be working together, and really identifying what role, the roles that you're playing. And that goes back to, let's look back at our job descriptions and our roles and responsibility. And does that have to be cleaned up? Does there more training need to be there? So it's really a wonderful opportunity to reset. Yeah. And let's not forget our, our clients and our patients. Let's bring yes. them into what we're doing and how we're going to deliver care at such a different level than we had before. Not necessarily better. It's not good or bad, right or wrong. Right. It's just, let's look at it differently. It's different. It's absolutely going to be different. You said goals. And I know from a managerial point of view, sometimes we look at the goals as the team goals and the patient goals. But as a business owner, I have to be looking at the financial goals. I mean, you have your own business. I have my own business right now. I'm not thinking about team dynamics because it's just me and my dog and my husband. Right. So <laughs> I am thinking definitely financially, you know, I've got to reset that way as a business owner, talking about the doctors that are out there as yeah. a business owner, that's a factor that the team doesn't feel. Your coaching for a doctor has to look different, doesn't it? Yes. First of all, the, the doctor, he or she has to have the openness to want the coaching, right? And, and a coaching is different than directing. And sometimes it's even different than consulting, right? So there's a coach would maybe do a little bit of, of all of it, but it's really more, how can I help support you achieve the goals that you want? And how can I help hold you accountable and help and have you be responsible for those actions, right? From a CEO or from an owner standpoint, I would challenge those out there to say, let's have a vulnerable, it's okay to be fallible and it's okay to be vulnerable. And now's the time. And if you have concerns about finances, which we all do, you're absolutely correct. These are the conversations we can have with our team members. Do they understand the pie of expenses from a dental practice? Let's peel it back. Do they know the percentages? And it's just letting them be aware of something they may not have been aware of. It's the collective wisdom now versus just the linear, this is what I say. It's This is really going to reset a lot of different conversations and our ability to, hopefully our ability to rely on each other and have that trust and that connection. I keep on going back, trust and connection, trust, connection, and respect and respect. And I want to talk about accountability in just a second, but I'm, I'm thinking back to, you know, I don't consult anymore, but I'm thinking back to my consulting days and, and talking with my colleagues like yourself and other consultants. It seems to me that the offices that share those goals and the finances and the, not necessarily the profit and loss, but the monthly, what's the bare minimum. Yeah. The offices that share that have always been for me better 
strung together, better energy, better harmony, because they are working towards a common goal and it doesn't seem greedy. You know what I mean? Because everybody understands how it works. I just wish I would urge if you're an office out there that a doctor out there that doesn't want to share those numbers because you're worried they're going to know how much you make or whatever. They already know. We see the, we see the collections. We already know. We understand people make money. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really difficult way to operate from a team member point of view. I'm guessing that's your experience too. I mean, that seems to be very universal. Yeah. Let's face it. We all have different parts and we all have personalities. Some of us are more comfortable with money personally, as well as professionally, and others are not. Again, it's, this is not a right or wrong. It, it is what it is. And if you find that you have an aversions or an avoidance to money, or you have this narrative in your brain that you don't want to sell dentistry or this is wrong, that's a great opportunity to have some more coaching or self-awareness around that and maybe twist that or pivot that thought process that numbers really represent how healthy you're getting your patient. Numbers represent how much care you're able to provide your community. To me, that's a great point. That's how I just look at those from a number perspective. That's fantastic. Honestly, I never thought of it that way, communicating it that way. That's fantastic. So the health of your practice is really a reflection of how healthy your patients are. Yeah, you're getting your patients. And it could be any numbers from the perio numbers to the production numbers to your accounts receivable. It's how healthy you're able to have your patients. That's fantastic. Okay. I got to call that out for sure in the show notes. I love that. Now Thank the you. accountability piece, mm-hmm, the accountability piece is, is huge. I mean, I, it's, that's the elephant in the room. You know, yeah. we can go in and, and this is honestly partly why I stopped consulting. I'll be honest with you. It was just um, speaking was so much more fun than dealing with this part. So my hat's off to you. The accountability piece is so difficult. You give them what I feel like are the keys to the kingdom because you know you've customized these keys just for them by observing and they don't pick up the keys. And you know, it was one or two that was very frustrating. Most of them were really good. I shouldn't really paint them all. They were actually really good clients, but it is frustrating, right? To get them to pick that up and use it. So you enjoy that though. You enjoy giving them goals and watching them reach it. And then when they don't reach it, you're giving them a little push, right? That's what you mean by accountability coaching? Right. So actually, this is such a juicy topic. So number one, (laughs) it all depends on the client, right? I'm at a certain age that I only want to, I, I will only work with people who are open and willing and honest to be coached, right? I, I can't, based on the research, you can't force anyone to do anything. And if, if you don't want to, that's cool. I, that's not a problem. I'm just not the fit for you. If you have that opening, if you want to have the collective, if you see that there's a, a place that you want to go, absolutely, I want to be able to help support you. And what, what I love about that from a coaching perspective, which is a little bit different than perhaps an, another way to look at it, is that they create their own goals and I can help support them and streamline them. So I am not like Teresa, just like you, I've been around for a long, for a long time and I have gone into <laughs> practices in the past and I have literally, my heart's broken because I've looked at their shelves and there's one practice management manual and another volume of manuals and another volume and another volume and like $200,000 worth of people invested in consulting. And I've actually, I'm like, what do you actually think I'm going to be able to tell you different? It's, it's all there. I can't tell you anything different. It's not a magic. Something's going to come down from the sky and oh, I'm going to have this brilliance, right? It's (laughs) not going to happen. What I can do is help support you from a step-by-step basis to get you where you want to go. But I want you to utilize what the resources that you have. That's the education. That's the development. Those are the content experts. And so it's a little bit more of let's do 
some sprinting in part of the marathon. So from a leadership perspective, as well as a team perspective, and it's mostly the team leaders though, and the office managers, it's, it's your, it's your audience members who I, I love working with because my, my ultimate goal is to get a referral. I don't want to mm-hmm. stay in someone's office for years and years and because then yes. I'm not doing my job, right? I want to set you right. up so you can be successful and then have check-ins, whether it's on a monthly or quarterly basis after the initial framework and the modalities are set up. I don't need to be there all the time. I don't need to. I want to have you do it. I want you to grow and I want you to be able to develop and, and build that muscle of accountability. I think it's a different type of, of consulting. I mean, I know people who have had consultants for, you know, eight, 10 years or yeah. whatever. I'm not cut out that way. I, I would go crazy working with the same team in equilibrium for that long. You know what I mean? So I get what you're saying. Based on that, you would come in and work with them and get them almost like graduate them and then do the check-ins with them. I just want to go off course a little bit. There's a lot of managers that listen and want to be a consultant. They want to be a speaker. You know, I'm always getting questions. You probably use, you get them on the road too. You know, how do I do what you do? And one thing that you should know about consulting is exactly what she said. You can't coach someone who isn't ready to. And that was always a big red flag when I walked in and they had practice management manuals from other consultants. You're absolutely right. I'm like, okay, this is, I'm like, what, number eight, number nine. And what happens is the team says, oh, another one. Yes. And that's never going to work. So, you know, for the budding consultants out there, that's a big red flag. And for dentists who have done that, and maybe you're number eight for them, dentists, you should hide those manuals because that tells a lot, (laughs) tells us a lot about what's going on there. Right. And I I love that though, that, that we've both done this enough times that we can share that knowledge with a new consultant or a budding consultant so they don't make the same mistakes right. <laughs> that we or actually waste the time. It's not really a mistake because you learn from it, right? But it is a waste of time when you look at it. Right. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the accountability piece is, is really huge. And I know from working with so many managers over the years, it's a time crunch, right? Because now we're going to go back to work. They're going to have to do everything on double speed because there's a pressure to make sure that the practice is profitable again, or you're reaching out to patients again and all that. What kind of schedule does that mean for somebody who's like, like you would want to check in with them after you get the coaching to an equilibrium point? I guess it's dependent on the person, a weekly check-in, a quarterly check-in you said? It could be different. So number one, as you have the availability, I would encourage as from a one, a second, so number one action step would be to connect with your team and your, and your patients. Number two, look at your schedule and go ahead and block off time to connect. Have those weekly meetings, have those monthly meetings, have those blocks. You have the ability now and then respect them and honor them and don't cancel them. So that, that's step one, uh, because your, your life is going to be crazy. We all know that and right. if it was crazy before and just look at your schedule and pop them in on every, you know, every Wednesday or every Friday, whatever that works for you. And you can build out from there, right? We can, we can help the teams who are listening. I can help you fill up that content and develop those agendas, but right now block it off. And so once you have established the framework of, of the accountability and the best practices for teams, it's shifting what accountability means for me is that if I have an agreement with you that I am going to use a certain setup, right? At every time you do an endo procedure, or again, like if I use, we're going to be on time for huddles, that type of thing. The very first time, and you have an agreement, does everyone agree, right? You, you go around, you create these behavioral norms, right? Whether it's not gossiping, right? That could be another one. That's another hot topic, right? So we're creating these norms. The very first time you are from a leader perspective, 
a team member does not follow through on that agreement, that's when you go up to them and you hold them accountable right then and there. So you're at 100% as soon as you are make this agreement. As We're human. We're going to forget life gets in the way. But at that 99%, that's when you say, hey, you know, hey, Teresa, you know, we had an agreement last week that you were going to be here three minutes before the huddle. I noticed you came in, you know, two minutes after. So late is late, no matter how how much it is, right? Teresa, you say, oh my gosh, I acknowledge I am late. And this is what the beauty of it too. So what I would love it from an agreement standpoint is that from, from two sides, number one, an agreement is what are we going to do? Who's going to do it? And by when? Two people can have an agreement. It could be a team agreement. It could be a doctor hygienist agreement, right? So it's what are we going to do? Who's going to do it? And by when are we going to do that, right? So that's kind of the premise for an agreement. And so if you are someone who's in a leadership position, yes, absolutely go up to someone and say, hey, I just want to notice, you know, we had this agreement. If you are the person, Teresa, all you need to say is, I acknowledge I'm late. Don't have an excuse. The excuse right. diminishes what you want to be elevated to. This is about, this is your integrity. Last week, you gave your word, you gave your integrity that you're going to be on time because you signed off on it or you made this agreement, whatever that agreement would be. And so what I would love, and this is where the, from the coaching standpoint comes in from a team perspective, because teams leadership, no one wants to be micromanaged. No leader wants to be the hallway monitor, you know, and coming down on their, their team members. What the beautiful situation would be is, Teresa, you come into the team meeting three minutes late. I want to acknowledge I'm late for the team meeting. It won't happen again. No, so not, not even excuse. Not even that. Not okay. even to say, I want to acknowledge it. You okay. Because anytime you give an excuse, you're disrespecting because everyone else was able to get here. Right. As soon as you say, okay. oh, it won't happen again, the back of your mind, right? Our little stories and filters that we tell ourselves, oh, yes, it will, because she always will come in. Oh, look, she has a <laughs> cup of coffee, right? We start, <laughs> we start spinning in our own head about justifying, well, I could get here on time. Why couldn't you? Because you did X. That's true. We don't need yeah. an excuse. We, we just okay. acknowledge it. And then just playing out this scenario, if you let me a little bit, mm -hmm. if this happens two or three times in a week, then that's a different level of conversation that the leader has to take this person aside. And that's more of a crucial or a critical conversation, different framework, different, you know, different thought process. But if this happens once every few months, then that's all you need to do. You're late, you're human, because we're going to forget and we are human. And that's accountability isn't perfection. It's just holding someone at the highest level because they say this is where they want to be. So if my clients say that they want to, you know, produce X and they're going to do A, B and C to get there, then really all I need to do is help hold them accountable to what they said they were going to do. You're complete, you're whole, you're, you're beautiful just the way you are. If you want to get to that level, I can help support you doing that. So it's not punitive. It's just helping you become the person that you want to be. I love that you said that, though, that accountability is not perfection. And I think there's a lot of pressure on team leaders to make sure everything runs smoothly 100% of the time. And I think inherent in that whole conversation is the assumption that the office manager has to be okay, or the, the doctor, if they're the team leader, has to be okay not being that person's favorite person for the day. It's okay to have that distance for a day or so if that person feels like they're wounded for whatever reason, because not everybody takes criticism well, unfortunately, or accountability well. Do you tell managers that, that it's okay to not be liked that for that day or so? Is that something that's hard? I think that's hard for managers, really. It's hard for people because we all want to be nice and we want to be liked. 
Right. We all we all want that. And and this can get in the way and this can be resistance for us having conversations with our patients about the treatment that they need, right? So this mm-hmm. is, has many different layers from an accountability standpoint. What I would say to team leaders and the, and the doctors and team members right now is that it's not that you won't be liked, it's that you are holding your team member to the highest level that they said they were going to honor. Right? This is an integrity, right? This is what they they agree to this. This is a, this is how we're working. This is again not right or wrong, good or bad. It's the ways of working. It's the workability of the practice. This is our behavioral norm within this practice. We all agree to do perio charting here. We all agree to this is our standard of care. So if someone is coming to me and saying, if I put my hygiene hat on, hey Christine, I noticed that the past three exams when doctor came in, you didn't do the appropriate transfer or you didn't do the appropriate handoff. Help me understand. Let me be curious. Is it something that you forgot? Did you you need some more support? What, what was happening in your world, right? You want to lead with curiosity. You don't want to go in for the throat and the jugular right off the bat. You say, help me, you know, help me understand. Again, oh, shoot, I forgot we were supposed to do that. Oh, shoot, that's right. I was supposed to right. do those four, right? Not a problem because we're human. From a leader perspective, you have to let it go. And from a hygiene me perspective, I have to let it go because she is just holding me to what I said I wanted to do. So again, we're in service to the patient. It's how we're going to be in service to each other and service to the patient. And again, if it happens continuously, then that's a different conversation. It's so much easier to course correct. And this, you can use this at home. You said you were talking about with your husband. So you can have agreements at home and you can have agreements of emptying the dishwasher. And the first time you say, hey, babe, you know, I'm heading out traveling when we travel, you know, can you do X, Y, D? And the first time your husband didn't do something, you're like, okay, I'm not going to be that B word or I'm not going to be, you know, irritate. I'm just going to let it go because I'm cool and everything. So you don't say anything. Then the second time he does it. You know, you're starting to get a little bit itchy, right? You're getting that twitch. Yes. Come home and yes. like, okay, I thought we had agreed on this. And then the third time, you're ready to explode. You're like, what? And then it just gets way out of hand versus had you just said it, hey, babe, I thought we agreed before I left that X was going to happen. And I noticed it didn't happen. Oh, okay, shoot. You know, that's so just having that type of conversation right in the beginning. From being a manager and from working with other managers in the past, it seems to me like the biggest the biggest thing that I hear, the, the most common thing that I hear is, why is it so hard to do that? I would do that. You're not cloning yourself. You can't project your behavior onto somebody else. But And I remember that, like, why is it so hard for her to, you know, schedule that appointment? I can do that in my sleep. You know, the more you manage, you realize, okay, everybody's got different capabilities and different, you know, bandwidths. It is interesting that we kind of see ourselves in each worker and we hold them to that standard. And that's not really healthy. No, actually, there's a lot of research behind that, too as far as with the, the different levels of workers within a um, group dynamic. And then you can on top of that, the different generations. And so, yes, we're all different and we're all unique. And that's what's beautiful about working with people. And that's why agreements are in place because you sit and say, hey, I, let's do some training, right? This is how doctor, this is the workability of how you schedule a crown and bridge appointment. So, I mean, are you clear about it? Let's do some templates. Let's write it out. Yes, I have an idea. And then the very first time that your team member doesn't do it the way it was agreed upon or the way the workability of the practice, that's when you just pause. That's the 99%. Hey, I noticed Kathy was scheduled this way. We had a conversation last Tuesday that was going to be um, scheduled this way. Help me understand what happened, right? What, What got in the way for you? In the team member's mind, there's a justification. 
I did it this way because, okay, I understand that. And next time let's do this or next, just do this. Or if you schedule it this way, let me know. So I don't have to find it. And you're just letting me know, say, Hey, I want you to acknowledge that I schedule Kathy, not based on the protocol, but this is what the reason why. Okay. No problem. Right. So it's, it's the give and take of team members. Also, like I mentioned before, that acknowledging when there is an upset or acknowledging when you have broken an agreement and coming to that person saying, Hey, I just want to let you know, I acknowledge I broke that agreement or I didn't do it this way. And they need to be okay about that because they're human. Life does get in the way for sure. Really. Like I could talk to you all day about this stuff, this team dynamic stuff, especially now that I'm not coaching. So it's nice. (laughs) Right. So now one thing that I wanted to bring up, one of our most popular past episodes, Kevin and I, you know, Kevin Henry, my constant co-host was on bullying. It was one of our most popular episodes. And so when I saw that on your website, I was like, oh, we need to talk about that. So with bullying, I know you run into it. When you see it, like, what do you do mentally as a coach? Do you file it away? Do you start already like looking at how they affect the team? Or do you already start thinking about how to tackle their attitude? Like, what's your thought process when you run into an office that definitely has a bully going on? Bullies and an aggressive, I call aggressive leadership styles. It can show up in any form. What we have to remember is that this is getting more into a little bit more of psychology and um, human dynamics. This is a part of this person. We have, and I'm sure some of the audience members as well as you are familiar with the fight and flight response. So we have the, we either it's a parasympathetic or sympathetic nervous system. And we have the genetic DNA from eons ago, from the caveman days. We're not necessarily worried about a dinosaur coming and eating us alive (laughs) right back you know in the caveman days right but we have now we've moved into more of a psychological safety when we're in the team dynamics when we're in an office that fight or flight happens all the time now if someone has the ability to have the emotional intelligence to recognize that and to mediate it and and control it in a way, then they'll have more of a quote unquote normal conversations or more normal interactions with people. If that emotional development aspect hasn't been developed, yeah, they're even gonna they're either gonna fight, which is gonna be either verbally, sometimes physically, very aggressively in a work environment. Or they're going to be shutting down, right? They're not going to say anything. They're going to be that passive aggressive, right? And they're just going to try to pick on people or, again, going into the gossip. This is something that's part of the coaching aspect. And there's certain trainings and modules that I want to make everyone on the team aware of this because it's, it's real. So we all have to be aware that we have it at different levels and that just because this person's part is showing doesn't mean that's their whole self. And so they are doing that because of some type of protection because they don't want to be most of the time on the research that they're very intelligent people, a lot of doctors, dentists, lawyers, because they're very left brained and they had to develop that left brain to get to where they are. Right. It's like Marshall Goldsmith in his book, what got you here won't get you there. It's, it's the exact same thing, right? So what got them to be here, the technical ability may not get them to be somewhere else. And so a lot of times this aggressive behavior also comes from their own insecurities being found out that perhaps they're not as good as they think they are. So it has a lot of their own psyche that's just being showed, that's just, that's just vomiting out, you know, aggression and bullying in the office to the other people. Having this type of conversation and looking from a leader perspective, how can you create psychological safety? How can you be of that trust and that respect within that environment and setting up agreements and behavioral norms that this behavior isn't going to be tolerated. This is not what we do. 
this this is not who we are. This is not our vision. This is not our mission. This is not our norm. This is not our behavior. So you have to set those type of agreements up as well. And then, yes, yeah, someone needs to hold them accountable. And it's, it's yeah. the accountability of, again, not punitive. It's, I had a choice whether to come to you and t- talk to you about this. Your behavior is being perceived very this way, right? So it's really about letting the awareness of that person because they're not going to see it right because you only can see things through it's, it's that expression if you want to see the world as happy and loving you're going to you're going to find examples for that if you want to see the world as ugly and negative you're going to find it in your lens to support that so right now this person is acting this way and their fight or flight you know mechanism is, is going like crazy so we have to be able to make sure they're seeing what their actions are to the other people on the team and that this is no longer acceptable it's it's very similar to what you would have a performance conversation this is just a conduct conversation. Where it gets to be sticky is that team member to team member is a very much of a challenge. However, doctors and leaders will act more quickly if a patient complains ah, or a student interesting. complains as an educator, right? So right. it's brilliant because they don't want that. So a lot of times the question would be, so how is this showing up for your patient? What mm-hmm. are your patients perceiving? If your team members are experiencing this, say someone's at the front desk, right? So that's their position. And you're feeling it, right? Because it's palpable in the practice. How do you think that's showing up for your patient? Do, do you think that your patients are not feeling that same type of thing, right? So you get to turn it to what's the, the customer and how it's going to affect the customer. And a lot of times then the leadership will be more willing to do some, some action. And most of the bullies, if they can get two or three levels of coaching and just kind of that self-awareness one-on-one, success is that they change their behavior. They're just not aware of it because they're protecting themselves. I was just feeling sad because I know quite a few dentists who are working with perceived bullies. And when the bullies left, exactly what you were saying about the patient, the patients would come back and say, I'm so glad she's gone. I don't know why you held on to her for so long. And the dentist is just clueless. And then the other team members are going, we've been telling you this for like three years. So doctors, I just, and managers, just think about that. Are we describing something similar? And are your team members saying the same thing to you about one person? You know, that needs addressing. And are you losing team members? That's what I would see all the time is you would lose good team members because this would not be addressed on the team. And that would always break my heart because the doctor wants to do the right thing and and he or she's just in, in their own way. What's in the way is the way, right? So. hmm I like that. Okay. Wow. We covered a lot. So we we have a a little bit left, but do you mind if we kind of dig into teledentistry for a second? No, not at all. You know what you're doing with this because you've coached on that and it's a speaking topic of yours. So I'd love to just get your thoughts. So this is like the new thing, right? Like it's so hot right now. And the reason I did the podcast earlier was because I kept getting questions about it. So you're probably thinking, you're probably getting inquiries as well. When a dentist jumps onto a new technology, whether it's lasers, whatever. I feel like this is another technology that they're kind of jumping on because everybody's jumping on. Are there some things that they should be thoughtful of before they get into teledentistry? I'd love to reference the podcast that you did with Kevin around this as far as a great sounding board for any doctor and team member who wants to um, in, to begin to investigate it because you had a, you gave a lot of companies and resources and places to go. My biggest suggestion at this point in time, and again, just realizing the context that we're recording this in, 
is this part of your vision and mission and your way of being with your patients? Are you a community type person? Do you have a lot of connections in the medical community, right? So an oral surgery community, imperio community, right? So are those interdisciplinary avenues something that you've already cultivated that this can be an adjunct to? Or have you just been, not just um, a dequalifier, or have your practice have, has been more isolated and that you don't necessarily have that type of rapport with other, either medical and or dental people, right? So it's really about your vision and your mission. You're right. It's in this time of heightened disruption and, and uncertainty, the investment somewhere else, I want someone to be cautious because where is that going to be and how would that show up in your workflow a month from now or two months from now when our new norm? That's interesting. You, you mentioned workflow because we are so, we're so trained to come up with, you know, our own SOP, standard operating procedures for what we do, every system. I feel like people are just like, okay, we're going to do teledentistry now and they have no workflow set up. There's really, I, I don't see a lot of people out there saying, here's my step-by-step. I don't, I would look for that. Every company has their own training and vision or whatever. So the workflow, is that something that they can put together ahead of time? Or do you feel like that's something that they're going to develop as they do it more and more? I mean, what what have you found? There are some key aspects that they can look at from a, from a workflow perspective. And so I guess we're looking at, again, beginning of the top of the conversation, what technology, right? What technology, what inter-oral camera, what HIPAA compliant software and communication are you looking at? Are you looking at it? just as a live sitting up with your patients who may have a toothache or is part of your business model looking at having a auxiliary or a dental hygienist going out into the community and then sending you back pictures and then you're going to evaluate it after, right? So there's going to be synchronous or asynchronous, right? Where, where, where do you want to go with that? So definitely look at the technology. From that, those technology companies should be able to give you the bare bones of a workflow and how you want to be able to set it up. So if you're connecting with and partnering with someone who's reputable and has been doing this more than, you know, two weeks, then they're going to be able to provide you with those resources. There is a lot more coming out about it now. And it's just kind of serendipitous. I just ended up writing an article on teledentistry and some workflows that are going to be coming up. So I I can put the link in there as well. That would be great. You mentioned not somebody who's just been doing it two weeks. I've I've seen it already, you know, companies are kind of popping up and you're like, where were you two weeks ago, you know, (laughs) or pre pre COVID. So it is important to go by reputation. Again, my, my background originally was in health and wellness. Telemedicine has already established some platforms and it always established some best practices. So when you're doing the researching and and Googling, don't forget to include telemedicine and what comes up for there because you can translate that into dental. If you're working with an oral surgeon and you're a GP and how do you have that type of person if he's only coming into your practice or he he or she's coming into your practice once a month? Or if you have multi-locations, how is that going to show up? So definitely look for telemedicine, yes. And as well as and telehealth. Yeah, because the codes now, right? So the medical mm-hmm. codes have been coming as of January of 2020. There are certain medical codes for health coaching right. that also are utilized. So there is avenues that can be used that way as well. So that's why I mentioned that if you're working with interdisciplinary or systemic link, a lot of people are complete body wellness, then you can reach out to your partners in medicine and they can also help to shepherd you or mentor you as well, how best to set it up in your dental practice. We don't have to be silos, right? We can work together to figure this out. I want to just 
take a step back and just talk to the audience members because I know a lot of you are insurance geeks like I am. And what Christine is talking about is medical billing. You all know I hate medical billing. I don't, I'm not good at it, so I don't do it. I don't teach it. Don't call me. However, when you do medical billing, you have to really learn how to do it. So you're hearing this from Christine. And if you're not already doing medical billing, this is not the time to start under duress in the middle of a crisis, you know, get the real training for it. Right now we have the dental codes, utilize those as best that you can, but don't go crazy billing medical visits just because the codes exist on that. I just worry you guys are going to get into hot water with that and, and not know what you're doing. And I worry about people who are just jumping into medical billing. Thank you. And my point was that there are professions who are a few steps ahead that we can learn from them. Right. That's, that's all. Just see what they have done, what type of modalities, what type of um, how they're incorporating it and how can you adapt it to your practice, you know, to your practice. There is a teledentistry association. Are you part of that? I'm not a member but I'm a part of their mailing list. Yeah, I need to dig into that a little bit. I just, you know what? I did that whole podcast and forgot all about that. I just remembered that there is a whole association on. So I'm, I would guess they'd have some best practices built already yeah. so they can go and look for that. We're going to wrap up because I don't want to intrude on, on the listener's time. This is why we need to just make dinner plans or lunch plans because we never get enough time when we go to these meetings. So it's true. And if we have any more meetings this year, you know, knock on wood, so... <laughs> this yeah. industry, boy. It's disruptive. It's, it's definitely been disruptive. And I know you're working with people and, you know, I just want to tell the listeners, you guys are going to go through serious change back when the office is open. You are going to need accountability. You're going to need somebody to help you with it. And it's not a failing as a manager. Uh, believe me, I had to get past this. It's not a failing as a manager to have coaching or consulting. A lot of managers right away, they'll think, oh, this is competition. You know, what is she saying? Or what is he saying that I don't know already. And I don't want you to look at it like that. It's always, it, it's not adversarial. It, the coaches I've worked with and know, it's never been adversarial. And if it does feel adversarial, then maybe that, that's not the coach for your team. You know, be, be loud about it to your dentist. Let them know it's not, you, you're not feeling it. You're not jiving. We are going to wrap it up. I am so thankful for you taking the time right. to do this. Is there anything that you want to share last minute? Your website, your email address, I'll have it all in the show notes, but they can find you at? They can find me at my name. So it's nice. So it's Christine, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, Berry, B-E-R-R-Y.com. So that's my website. And I also have the email address, Christine at ChristineBerry.com. And no question is too small. I want to be able to help support you on that path to accountability. We're all in this together, right? And we all can grow and it's all about moving forward and developing each other and mentoring each other and being there for each other. So if there's anything I can do that was a topic that we reviewed or anything else that you may find that you have a question, yeah, just, just reach out to me. So I'm very accessible. What I would love to recommend as well is, I, I mean, like I said, I've been reading your articles for years and years. So if you Google her name, Go to the website. You know, I don't. I don't know if you have articles up or not, but Google her name, and you'll find a whole bunch. I, you're going to learn something. I always did when I read it, and I remember that bullying article really hit home for me because I just had worked with so many. So maybe that's going to work for other people too. So, and if we can get that in the show notes, I would definitely include that. So that's that's easy. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. So again, thank you so much. I'm sure I'll see you on the road or we'll be texting or in contact with each other. Again, for my dear listeners, I always, always appreciate the time that you spend with us. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll get our next candid discussion. Visit Teresa's website, 
odysseymgmt.com. That's odysseymgmt.com for more information on Teresa's courses, books, and speaking schedule. Subscribe to her newsletter while you're there. Don't say we didn't tell you that.